the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Shootings are now the biggest cause of death among children and teenagers, passing the longtime threat of automobile accidents. Washington is one of the few states to have taken steps to reduce that threat. The state legislature recently passed a series of gun responsibility laws, including an assault weapons ban. In this episode of Challenge 2.0, we examine the influence of faith leaders in leading to changes that make this a safer state in which to raise children. So it is not a surprise when we talk about issues like this uh, that we would be dealing with the faith perspective and that of faith communities. And so we're very pleased to welcome to this program again, Elise DeGuyer, Executive Director of the Faith Action Network, and Kristen Ang, who's the Policy Engagement Director of Faith Action Network. Thank you both, uh, Kristen and Elise, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank Jeff. you for having us. Well, it might be useful, although uh, those of us with Challenge are very familiar with the excellent work you folks do, uh, perhaps some of our viewers are not. Uh, could you review the foundation of your group and the basis for your advocacy work? And Elise, maybe you might begin with that. Sure. Faith Action Network was founded 12 years ago as um, the collaboration of the Washington Association of Churches and Lutheran Public Policy Office to do something new and multi-faith. And so as Faith Action Network, we have been advocating across the state and building community, building relationships with faith communities across the state to work for social justice, to work for equity and climate and environmental justice um, together. So Faith Action Network exists to raise the voices of faith communities and faith advocates and people of people of faith and conscience into the public um, conversation. And Kristen, as you're making the contacts on a daily basis, uh, is that important uh, to legislators and their staffs, the perspective that you're coming from? Yes, uh, many of them are people of faith or a multi-faith organization, and it does speak to the heart. Uh, when we do say we would like just and compassionate legislation, that does appeal to their hearts and minds, and that's what they would like to see in our society, in our communities. Mm -hmm. It's not just about numbers, it's about people. As uh, in our introduction, we spoke to the issue of gun violence, and there is a group called the Gun Violence Archive or an organization uh, for 2023. Uh, this was stunning, I found, that there have been as many mass shootings defined by shootings that have killed or injured at wounded uh, four people or more, excluding the shooter, as there have been days in the year. Uh, as a faith-directed group, this seems natural to have been an important issue for your group. And Elise, I might ask you to begin in terms of how broad was the support to actually take action or to initiate action within the legislature on this issue? Certainly people realize that this is a public health um, problem and we need to address it. Um, there are multiple uh, solutions 
And as we have been involved in this work for 12 years, um, we realized that we have taken steps. We have taken steps towards protection orders and um, background checks. And, but the assault weapons was the biggest um, hoped for legislation uh, for a long time and has been in the works. And this was the year, this was the year to introduce it. And Christine can speak more to what happened on the ground but I just know that faith communities have been there since the beginning. Faith communities are there in vigil when someone is killed, when there is a mass shooting. Um, we have marched too many times. We have to change the, the gun laws. Um, so there was lots of political will on our part. There was um, some good energy in the legislature. And Kristen, how did it happen? Yeah, Kristen, tell us not only how it happened, but what were the specific measures that were passed? What do they do? So FAN supported uh, three <clears throat> legislative bills with regards to, excuse me, uh, gun responsibility. And likely the one that got the most attention was House Bill 1240, the ban mm -hmm. on assault weapons, which has been introduced seven times, seven years by Attorney General Bob Ferguson. And like Elise said, this was the year. I think people were fed up. They really were fed up with the school shootings, the shootings at grocery stores, shootings in, in our everyday life as Americans. And assault weapons are the weapons of choice in mass shootings. It is not your handguns or shotguns. It is actually assault weapons in the schools. And that, it though... A lot of if you if you polled Washington State, you would see a high majority is for this bill, but it is a highly partisan bill. So a lot of these uh, gun responsibility bills passed on partisan lines, including House Bill 1143, the firearm permits regulation that provided a 10 day waiting period, a comprehensive background check, um, as well as that people had to take some classes. Uh, the other one was Senate Bill 5078, which is Firearms Industry Responsibility and Gun Violence Victims Access to Justice Act, which would make manufacturers, distributors, and sellers of guns having to do reasonable controls to make sure they're not marketing these particular weapons to criminals or those dangerous individuals that should not have these guns. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the House Bill 1143, which was the, the waiting period, was just so that if someone doesn't feel so good today, they can't have access to a gun and shoot themselves mm -hmm. right on that day to give them some time. Um, and that was the probably the impetus for that particular bill as well, as well as providing a comprehensive background check for everyone else. How strong are these in terms of monitoring uh, that they actually are followed uh, by the people involved? And then also in terms of actually detecting the problems, uh, do you think there are sufficient uh, enforcement teeth in this? I believe so. These bills uh, were done in collaboration for the Alliance of Gun Responsibility. They're mm -hmm. a national expert on gun laws, as well as our legislators really took the time to ensure that these gun measures would, along with our attorney general, to ensure that these gun legislations, we're gonna responsibility legislations, would make an impact. And there, when we talk about gun violence, this is just one tool. Mm -hmm. It's also investments in our youth, investments. People talk about mental health, sure. But at the same time, 
get the weapon out of their hands. This right. is one tool. Um, so I do think this, this is one of the effective tools and we just have to do the rest. Uh, there will almost certainly be challenges. Are you aware of any that are already in place? And what's yes. your assessment of that? There's already um, there's already a lawsuit uh, against uh, particularly the ban on the sale of assault weapons. Um, however, you know, A.G. Ferguson has assured that he has always won these kind of he has always won these measures and he's defended. And other states do have a ban on the sale of assault weapons. We would not be the first. Right. The other issue uh, I think that really stood out as a uh, highlight of elements high on your agenda uh, was the death penalty. Now, that was ruled unconstitutional, if I remember correctly, I think in 2018 by the state Supreme Court. And uh, uh, how was your position on this influenced by your values as an organization? And Elise, I might ask you to address that first. Yeah, that's a really good um, example from this legislative session. Something that we have cared about for decades, that faith communities have raised for decades and worked on, um, that at, at times we were just told, don't bring it up. It's mm -hmm. not politically expedient. Um, and yet we persisted and advocates persisted. And this was the year, again, just a, a wonderful victory in the sense of how it happened. Um, so the, the governor declared the moratorium. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional and, and how it was um, dealt with and the racial equity, uh, inequity of how oh. it was dealt. And just brilliance of, uh, again, the attorney general and others in this in putting together unconstitutional statutes that should not be on the records and having them removed from state law. How can you argue with something uh, that's unconstitutional being taken out of our statutes, you know? Kristen, uh, give us the details on uh, what actually happened. And if there was not much bipartisan support on the gun measures, was there more bipartisan support on this? I would say there was a little bit more support from, I would say, the Republican side on this particular issue mm -hmm. than definitely the gun responsibility bills, because it wasn't just about the death penalty. It was removing unconstitutional statutes from state law so that people are not misinformed, which also included forced sterilization. Um, but as Elise said, you know, the moral arc of justice can be slow, but mm -hmm. with faith and persistence we will get there. I know that Fan has been advocating for this for years, and it just required this particular approach and a particular time. And I, I was also told, you know, I've been, I guess, advocating on behalf of Fan for a couple of years now that it does require a lot of energy and time to get the cap, cap death penalty abolished even though it's been ruled unconstitutional because it was applied in a racial, racial discriminatory way. Mm -hmm. uh, and when, with regards to legislation, it is all about time and energy. Likely, maybe this would pass, but there are other bills that need to be passed um, within that small time frame. And But this was the year that we could word it in such a way and people could see it from this perspective that they could agree and not have to go through lengthy vocal debate mm -hmm. on something that should reasonably like, of course, let's remove, let's remove this from state statute because it's unconstitutional. 
And this approach, I think, was brilliant. Kristen, I'd like you to continue on with another crime-related bill, and that is uh, the one dealing with murdered and missing Indigenous women. Uh, what actually happened this time? What measure was passed, and what does it do? So House Bill 1177 is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's and Persons Cold Case Unit. So there would be a specific person uh, in the AG's unit that would be investigating these cases, uh, mm -hmm. missing and murdered. I am so heartened that this is truly bipartisan support, both uh, in last year's bill on the MMIWP's uh, alert system. Mm -hmm. That was unanimously voted out. Same here on the cold case unit for missing and murdered indigenous women's and persons. I, our entire legislature, our state, and I think even our society and community has awakened to the fact that there is a certain group of people that have some high incidence of murders and kidnappings, and we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. We need to care, we need to focus, we need to prioritize. So this is one where I'm heartened that we're having bipartisan support on this, full unanimous. And I wish this also starts to translate, like I said before, on our anti-hunger measures. Like, let's feed all kids. Let's feed all hungry people. And that should be uh, bipartisan 100% at some point. Well, seeing as you brought that up, let's turn to that right now. And that is, uh, as we connected, as Elise and I connected a little bit before this taping, uh, this recording, uh, hunger and safety issues did progress in terms of gaining some support on that. Uh, what are some examples of things that passed on that? Well, House Bill 1238, uh, uh, that, or, that is the free school meals for mm -hmm. more children. It started off as free school meals for all kids and to make that, I would say, a right, a right to education as part of your right to education. Mm -hmm. um, but because uh, the revenues were not as anticipated, I think people were viewing that the next couple of years uh, will not be as, I would say, well off as the past with the mm -hmm. federal COVID dollars, uh, with high anticipation of revenue, we're seeing a softening market. People wanted to be conservative this year in terms of money, but our arguments is if we are going into a down market or a recession, one of our best investments is to feed our children. If you're mm -hmm. talking about uh, addressing learning loss, well, hunger is a barrier for kids to learn. If you want to remove some of the strains on our food banks, which there will be an increased strain on our food banks, then feeding kids at school is one way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, this is, I would think, one of our defenses during tough times in a market. And so this is both our success and our disappointment. Yes, we've expanded it to 90,000 more kids, but it should be free school meals for all kids, just like they have right. in California, Colorado, and Maine. So one day we do hope to get there uh, and soon. And we're looking at a very wealthy state in terms of the yes. state of Washington. Yes, we are. We are one of the wealthiest, even with an upside down tax system. Uh, Elise, uh, I would ask you, uh, very often these sorts of issues in terms of uh, access to health care and so forth and uh, food uh, are framed as, to use a, a popular term, woke. Uh, what is your response as somebody from a faith community to that sort of designation on issues like this? Mm. Well, I think there's certainly a backlash um, on with that that phrase, so I'm not even going to use it. Um, 
I want to say that for decades, um, being involved with faith communities who feed people, um, I have seen, again, uh, just this slow movement, this slow arc towards um, it being more of a bipartisan issue, that we um, care about our neighbors no matter how we vote. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, I see that as a positive thing. Um, I don't, I don't see it as uh, temporary or uh, fleeting um, at the very basic, how are our neighbors doing? And that's a tenet of all our faith traditions. And uh, I have lots of examples across the state that we see that we can agree on that. We didn't agree on feeding all kids but we agreed on increasing in a, in a almost unanimous, there were only a few votes against those bills. Yeah. Washington state Republicans and Democrats actually do get the issue of hunger in mm -hmm. terms of they would support free school meals to kids and, and, and understand that we're seeing that as well as with the working families tax credit, a bipartisan support for that. Um, I think on the federal level, we need to do more work on that, particularly with the farm bill and the SNAP benefits. Because mm -hmm. uh, when I do, when I did testify for the farm bill and SNAP benefits here in Washington, farmers, uh, community members, whether red or blue, were in support of SNAP benefits and feeding the hungry. Mm -hmm. But you get on the federal level, it's quite different. They want to put different requirements on people or exclude certain people. That's not the case so much in Washington state. There are still some things, so, but I would say a majority on both Republican Democrats want to feed people. Mm -hmm. When we talk about safety and security, uh, I've been struck, and of course my background in environmental science, uh, I've been looking at the estimates of what it costs in terms of environmental uh, damage, uh, environmental disasters, and certainly that includes climate change. And that was also a focus point for uh, some of your work. Uh, can you highlight, uh, Kristen, I might direct that to you. Uh, what were some of the issues that uh, you were supporting and how did those fare in this legislative session? Sure. As you know, like Washington is a leader when it comes to environmental sustainability and addressing climate change. Uh, we passed the Climate Commitment Act, uh, CETA, and also our budget writer, our, our chair, Senator Rolfus, is an environmental champion with an mm -hmm. environmental background. Uh, so in that case, I think this year was the first time they allocated uh, funds from the Climate Commitment Act, $400 million, over $400 million uh, for our communities, for resiliencies, for investments in infrastructure. Uh, there was also, we also passed the House Bill 1181. That was addressing climate change and resiliency in the Growth Management Act, uh, requiring uh, counties and local areas to have a climate response, to reduce GHG, to have resilience, to have some resiliency measures. There will likely also be some investments, also to, of course, to protect us from rising sea levels. Mm -hmm. um, there was also, I would say, one thing about climate um, is that it's exacerbating our weather. So mm -hmm. the other bill was House Bill 1329, the extreme heat utility shutoff moratorium that nobody's heat or utilities should be shut off in term, in times of extreme heat. We already have it for extreme cold. So this is about preserving dignity and saving lives. So we do get it in Washington state when it comes to climate. We also 
They also invested a lot, I would say, in zero emission trucks, mm -hmm. uh, in electrification. Uh, I must say that Washington State is making the investments. Mm -hmm. And also in terms of salmon as well, like over $100 million for salmon uh, into, with our collaboration with Earth Ministry. Uh, they do believe that the salmon's... Uh, I would say for it, for it to have a chance of survival, they need to breach the Snake River dams. Mm -hmm. And so there's uh, the, the transportation uh, passed, they passed the $5 million to take a look at a study to see how some of the transportation issues with regards to the dam can be replaced. Mm -hmm. um, you literally took the words out of my mouth because that was going to be my very next question that I was going to ask you is that of salmon because that's an important one in terms of an icon of the Northwest and uh, a major industry here as well. And uh, some promises that were made in treaties to uh, some of the indigenous uh, residents of this state. Uh, yes, so indigenous people do say treaties are the supreme law of the land. And we do have that right, the right to fish uh, and, and hunt uh, in their traditional lands and traditional places. And that one is the salmon is key. So we are spending those that that money. Washington is spending that money uh, with regards to preserving salmon, making sure that mm -hmm. salmon don't go extinct. Um, as well as you know, there has been disappointments this year with regards to climate. They did not pass the Washington Recycling and Packaging Act, which would modernize our uh, recycling system, make sure things are actually recyclable, incentivize that uh, products are actually compostable, recyclable. Um, and I think it would have just made things easier for a lot of people. Also the environmental justice, particularly codifying that in the Growth Management Act, which was uh, proposed by Front and Centered, which is an environmental justice organization that did not pass, but there's always 2024. And that brings up uh, the issue not only of where is your focus going to be in 2024, and then I might ask both of you that, and then Elise, just remind people that are watching this that you provide a way to educate them to uh, integrate themselves into the process and influence the process. You know, we passed a two-year budget this year. That's one thing we haven't mentioned yet. And we talked about it as a moral document. We always do, that it's informed by our values. And legislators, um, you know, it's informed by their values too. So next year, there will be the short session and there will be a supplemental budget. Um, we'll look at some of the things that didn't pass this year and try to move them forward. I would mention that the systemic change pieces that we care about deeply um, and have always cared about uh, for economic justice, things like a wealth tax, things like um, the future fund for kids born, the baby bonds that we talked about um, before the session. Um, they did not move. So we'll figure out ways with our coalition partners. We don't do this, any of this alone. We have more than 25 coalition partners that will say, how can we change the increased wealth inequality in our state? This in incredible disparity. How can we shrink that? And what's the next step in changing our tax system? We look at the working families tax credit that is a wonderful example of something that passed a long time ago, was funded in recent years, just came into effect in February. 
Now over 150,000 families have already applied, more need to apply, but um, to receive up to $1,200 um, to, to help in their, their struggle to make ends meet. So um, we continue, uh, there are themes that we will just continue to work on and our partners will too. And we hope we find that expedient way like we did with the death penalty, like we'd have done with other things to say, this is finally, we're gonna finally reach this goal. So once we're done with the legislative session, we gather our network uh, across the state. We're doing that with summits right now uh, online. So people can hear what happened, can hear Kristen's report and can break down into small groups and talk about what do I care about? How are we gonna, how are we going to address that economic injustice piece? Mm -hmm. How are we going to get more kids in schools fed? Uh, how are we going to um, achieve justice for people who are imprisoned? Mm -hmm. It may be very different next year. We may decide we just got to hone in on one area, um, but I doubt it because we're a pluralistic, multi-faith, statewide group of 165 faith communities and thousands of individuals who really want to see our everyone fed, everyone sheltered um, in many ways, so. Well, thank you so much for uh, not only conversing with us today and explaining some of these measures and uh, understanding, you know, how this relates to your core values as a group, uh, but we're also going to post uh, your website so that people can get in touch with you. And I know you have some wonderful resources uh, that educate people on how to immerse themselves in the legislative process and influence that. So again, thank you to both of you. And we'll look forward to carrying this conversation on as you move through those conversations around the state and prepare for 2024. So thank you both very much. And thank you everyone for tuning into this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.